Good morning, church. Can you guys hear me? I can't really hear myself. Okay, perfect. So before I begin, I'd like to ask a question. Could I have all the single people in the church raise your hand, please? If you're single, could you raise your hand? Help me out. Okay. That's really good. Okay. It's really good. I, I, I saw a few. It's really good because my testimony will resonate really well with single brothers and sisters in our church. So with that being said, let me tell you a little bit about how my Ecclesia groups have been impacting and supporting my season of singleness. So this day and age, being single is really difficult. I mean, before you even enter a relationship, you've got to think about so many things. On top of that, if you're a single Christian, you've got to think about whether that person honors and serves God in the same way you do. That itself creates a whole different complication and challenge. And if you're like me, in your late 20s, chances are you are scared and freaking out. Seeing your friends getting married, going to weddings that is not yours, having them kids. Yeah. When your season of singleness continues to happen, you start to question yourself, like, what am I doing wrong? I thought I was supposed to wait for the right person. And that's what happened to me when I moved here last summer. I had this sort of a Christian identity crisis. Hmm, I'm getting close to 30. I'm not getting younger, but how come I don't have a partner yet? Maybe God wants me to do something. That's what I did. I started this active search of a partner, and I was successful. I entered this relationship that was clearly wrong from the beginning, only to find myself in a dumpster six months after with emotional, financial, and physical damage. That's when I realized, before I find a person, I need to find my identity in Christ, firm, firm identity in Christ. And I need help, I need, uh, help from people to get there. But when I look around, there was no one. I mean, I was still coming to this church, but I was a Sunday Christian. As soon as the service over, I ran out the door. So uh, that's when God also called me to sign up for Ecclesia, not one, but two. So uh, six months after spending uh, with two Ecclesia groups, I want to tell you what happened. I'm not trying to say if you join Ecclesia, you'll find a wife or husband. No, I'm not trying to say that. <laughs> Although it's possible, I'm not trying to say that. But what happened to me is that after my breakup, before I uh, got involved in our church, when I looked in the mirror, I saw a pathetic loser without a wife, without a house. But after spending every week sharing meals together with my brothers and sisters, we prayed for one another. We, we, we talked about the struggles in our hearts and firmly building our identity in Christ as a beloved son and daughter. Do you know who I see in the mirror today? I see this desirable attractive Asian man. Funny, yeah, thank you, yeah. Funny and pleasant person I like to spend time with. Nothing miraculous happened. It's just that my groups helped me to slightly shift the way I view my life. I thought singleness was a curse, but now I think it's a great blessing. You guys have no idea how much fun I'm having with me. So what I'm trying to say is this. Take a leap of faith. I know, like, if, if you're new, it's scary, but all we ask you to do is just take a leap of faith. Let us help you to show you how God can transform your life through his people. And I can think of no better way than Ecclesia to uh, experience truth, grace, and new life in Jesus. I hope to see you guys there, and let's have a great Sunday. Thanks. Wow. Uh, wow, Mic thanks, Seth. That, <laughs> yeah, uh, so that, that, that was it. We're all Mic done. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> wow, thank you, Seth, uh, very much. All right, guys, please welcome Simon. <laughs> Seth, come on, dude. Whose idea was it to give Seth a mic? That was a good idea. Dang. Honestly, I, I've got this whole message plan. I'm like, let's just keep going with that. Identity in Christ. Man, that's good. I'm going to join an ecclesia. In fact, I was a part of uh, Seth's ecclesia. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's powerful. It's not magical. It requires some consistency, some vulnerability, just showing up week in, week out. 
But God's in it. He does it. It's amazing. Uh, my name is Simon, by the way. We've not met. Um, and I'm the pastor here, just one member of a team of leaders who are here to serve you, our church family. Thanks for being here this morning. Um, we're going to begin um, a new series of teachings this morning. Like most churches, we sort of have rhythms and seasons. And now that we're starting the fall, we, we typically see this season as kind of like the beginning of our annual rhythm. We sort of sync with like the, the school and the universities, that, that kind of thing. So usually around this time of the year, um, we like to think about, okay, let's, let's kind of recenter ourselves. Let's, let's make sure before we get too, too deep into the, to the fall and the, the rhythms that we kind of remind ourselves, like, what are we doing here? What's important? What's maybe not so important? And let's, let's make sure that we're, we're synced up, that we're, we're doing what God has called us to do as a church family. So that's what we're going to do. In fact, we're going to spend the next seven weeks um, considering, um, it's not a vision series per se, um, normally, we would do a quote-unquote vision series. This time, we're just going to look at the fundamentals. We're going to take some time to remember or perhaps learn for the first time, like, what are we about? What are the basics that are important to us as a church family or even just as Christians, I might argue? Um, and that's what we're going to focus on. Um, but before we get into that... Um, I'm turning to the book of Acts, chapter 2, by the way. You can go ahead and begin to find your way there as well. I woke up this morning and I remembered that this week is my 16th wedding anniversary. I'm, rem- I'm looking at my wife. I'm making sure I'm 16, right? It's September 16th, which is this Saturday. 16 years being married is a difficult thing in this day and age. Let me tell you, whether you're single or married, like, um, life is wonderful and complicated, and, uh, and all the seasons are, are difficult and good, really, really good in their own unique ways. And, uh, yeah, 16 years we've been married. So you might be thinking to yourself, wow, what's, what is the secret to having a perfect marriage? You would obviously think to ask me that if you know me and my wife, we don't have a perfect marriage. We have a good marriage because we have worked hard for our marriage. And I'm, I'm happy to say um, I think our marriage is better than it's ever been in 16 years. Is that fair? Do you agree? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> I think it is. I think it is, honestly. Um, yeah, 16 years. So you might ask me, what's the secret? What is the secret to a successful marriage, happy marriage? Um, a happy home, good relationships. What is the secret? Um, My answer, my deep, deep conviction is there is no secret. There's no secret knowledge. Um, Really, like virtually all of life, I would argue, it's really about doing the things you've already been taught to do. There's all sorts of things that we can learn. There's books that can be read. But for the most part, once you've read one or two books on marriage or success or whatever it might be that you're thinking about in your given season of life, um, it only takes a couple of books to get, to get the basics. You know, how to communicate, how to forgive, how to walk in humility, how to practice sacrificial love. These are things we've all talked about here like thousands of times. So the quote-unquote secret really is just practicing the basics. Being reminded of what some of the basics are, the fundamentals of love and relationship, of following Jesus, and just practicing those things. Learning how to be consistent in the simple things. And that's my introduction for this series. We want to get back to the basics. Uh, The temptation... As someone who preaches most weeks, is to always come up with like the new creative thing, the spin, the like. But you've probably never heard of this Hebrew word. You've probably not thought of this. And and I want to impress you, so you will all like me and come back. But that's not terribly helpful. It's just not. I mean, it might be entertaining for you, but it's not necessarily going to help you grow um, in, into deeper relationships 
with God and with Jesus. So, back to the basics. It is the minute you get away from fundamentals, the bottom can fall out of your game, your schoolwork, your job, whatever you're doing. In the words of Michael Jordan, Let's go to the words of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." Very familiar passage. What stands out to you? I'm going to open it up. What stands out to you? You can shout it out. God's faithfulness. Okay. Daily. Great word. What else? Let's let's keep going. We're going to do this for a sec. Say again. Awe. Fellowship. Food, which in the Greek is actually uh, donuts. So just putting that out there. Devoted. Mm. Prayer. Anything else? I mean, we, we could go on. We could just literally mention like every word. This, I would, I would argue, I would insist is not like a a prescriptive imperative for the church. This isn't like, here's the template, do do these things, check off each one, and then then you're the real church. That's that's clearly not the context. That's not the tone of the passage. What it is, though, um, it gives us a a kind of template, a model, a vision to aspire towards, some principles that, of course, we have to work out in our context, Western 21st century Portland context. Um, so we're not necessarily trying to like transcribe like word for word, like we need this, we need this, we need this, but it certainly gives us a, a good starting place and, a, and perhaps a vision to, to co- keep coming back to. There are certain things there that I would argue like these, these are excellent principles, non-negotiables if we're to um, be faithful to the fundamentals as followers of Jesus as a church family. Um, we're going to keep coming back to this every week and sort of zoom in on some particulars as we go. But the one we're going to focus on this morning is, um, I think someone may have said it, together. They were together. I think the word's actually used three times in this passage. They were together. They were together. They were together. The followers of Jesus kept coming together. They were the assembled Church. They were the convening body. They were the gathering kids of God. So that's the first basic that we're going to look at this morning. We, the church, gather. Why? Why? And then, of course, how? What does this look like? How can we um, get better at this, practically speaking, as a church family? The church who gathers. So let's start with the why. Oh, by the way, hold on. Let me, let me qualify everything quickly. Uh, first of all, if already you feel yourself starting to disengage a little bit, because you're like, oh, really? I was hoping to like learn something new this morning. The church that gathers, like that's, but surely we all know that. And so I get that. I'm, I'm very, very sympathetic to, to you. Like, 
just the feeling that like, I already know this. Now I'm going to sit here and listen to you ramble on for like 45 minutes telling me something like I've, I've heard my whole life. Uh, my appeal to you is please don't do that. Okay? Uh, don't, don't be so prideful. Okay? If I could just speak plainly. Um, it's the nature of the fundamentals. You don't ever graduate. We don't ever graduate from the basics. We've got to keep coming back to them. It's like I was joking with one of our elders this morning. Um, him and his wife, Lily, were, were getting ready to, to move the state. They got a job, and we'll have a moment for them in a couple of weeks as we send them out. Um, but he had a couple of books that he had borrowed from our library. Uh, one by Pete Grieg, God on Mute. Phenomenal book if you find yourself suffering at the moment, wondering where God is. And then an NIV Bible. And I teased him like, oh, you're, you're returning your Bible now that you guys are leaving Grace City. Ha, ha, ha. I guess you don't need that anymore. You've already read it, right? As if once you've read Acts chapter 2, that's it. No, 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 no. We always come back. We always recenter. We always need to be reminded, particularly when it comes to the why. Like, why am I doing this again? Heck, I've been, I've been gathering as a, a, a Christian in a church for, what, 20 years now? I'm speaking about myself personally. Why do I do this again? We all need to be reminded. We all need to be reminded. So that's the first qualification. The second qualification is this. If you're perhaps not even a Christian yet, and you're like, I'm just checking things out. Or maybe you are a Christian, but you're like, this is not my church per se. I'm just, I'm, I'm here as a guest. Um, at some point, you might find yourself feeling a little overwhelmed like you're challenging me to like do these relatively radical things. And I'm like, dude, I'm just, I'm just a guest. Okay. Um, please don't feel overwhelmed. Please don't feel like, I, like the, the ask is too big. That's not the intention. Um, I personally don't want anyone to leave here feeling like, wow, what a, what a terrible Christian I am. Like I, I don't do the basics very well, do I? That is not the point at all. I want every one of us to leave this place feeling more hope, being affirmed in the grace of God because where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So this morning and this series isn't about making anyone feel like you need to do better. If you call yourself a Christian, you better, you better work harder on the basics. No, 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 that's, that's not what's happening, okay? This is meant to be an encouragement, perhaps a challenge, never bad to be challenged. Like we want to grow. We want to be a healthy church. We want relationships of depth. We want to follow Jesus and grow in that. And part of that is being challenged. So there you go. There, there's the qualification. Now, why? We are the church who gathers and the question is why? Three things. Ken loves it. Number one, gathering works a missional muscle. Gathering works a missional muscle. Number two, gathering fills a relational reservoir. Number three, gathering is an act of prophetic protest. It works a missional muscle. It fills a relational reservoir, and it is an act of prophetic protest protest. Let's start with the missional muscle. Acts chapter 2, we just read, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. When the church comes together, God begins to do something missionally. The body grows. People get added. Here's a question that challenges me. Can the church rally when it counts? Can we come together when, when it really matters? Can the family gather when a family meeting is called? Or have we not yet quite developed that muscle, that habit, that discipline, if you will. Um, 
I think we have an amazing church. I like you guys. I love you guys. I mostly like you. I hope you mostly like me. <clears throat> I think that we have room to grow in developing um, like our, our discipline of gathering. Like if, if, if we were to put out the word, there's an opportunity. There's something going on uh, in this city. There's a need. There's, something's happening, and all of a sudden, as the church, we have the opportunity to respond, to be the body of Jesus, but it's going to require that we rally and we all show up. And I wonder that if that scenario actually happened, if, we would, if we'd be able to show up, or if maybe just a few of us might show up, and a few of us might be like, meh, and a few of us would like not even know what's happening because you Three years in, you still haven't filled out a connection card. And so that's just kind of, um, again, this isn't like a guilt trip thing. This is like family. As a church, how are we doing when it comes to like the, the discipline of gathering? Consistently coming together. Now, of course, I'm preaching to the choir because we're all here we're all gathered you showed up at church so good on you um, but generally speaking for those of you online for those of you listening to the podcast later on this week it's important to understand that simply developing the the habit of gathering helps us to strengthen a missional muscle now, it's not necessarily going to be that, like, missional opportunity every single week. But the time will come where the church will need to rally and will need to know, as a leader, I would love to have that level of confidence that we are the church. When the word goes out, the family rallies. We're all going to be there. Not because we have nothing else going on. We don't have other lives outside of this building. I'm going to keep qualifying myself as we go. But because we understand the importance of the gathered church, that there, there is a missional element to why we practice gathering week in and week out. And that's a muscle to be, to be worked on. A massive part of our missional strategy is simply being the family of God. And being family means FaceTime. Like actually just like racking up hours of being together. Now it doesn't automatically make us good family. Sometimes we just end up like fighting because we've been, we've been together too much. But I would suggest more often than not, it's, it's actually the opposite. We need more time together, more consistent time together. So that when I decide to invite my friend to church, which I did this week. I invited a bunch of people to church this week. I don't know why. I wasn't even thinking about this. It's just the opportunities were there. And I'm thinking to myself, man, if they actually come, I hope this isn't one of those Sundays where like, like everyone decided to be out of town and I didn't get the email. You know, it's like, where the heck is everyone? <laughs> now that does happen. That's fine. You know, Whatever. But I'd like for all of us to know that, man, when I invite my neighbor or my colleague or that family member to be a part of the gathering, my family's going to be there. It's going to be great. They're going to be fantastic. It'll be messy. And someone's going to say the wrong thing. And it's going to be like real family. But we're going to be there. We're going to be there. And we're going to continue practicing uh, showing up for one another. Enough said about that. Gathering works a missional muscle. The second why, why gather? Gathering fills a relational reservoir. We're not just checking off an attendance roster. No one's taking attendance. Although we do do a head count. You know that. Every week there's one person in here that counts heads. Just because we kind of want to know, like, how, how are we doing? 
Like, where, where are we at? And that's one practical way to do it. Now, it might weird some of you out. It's okay. FaceTime, again, is essential to relationship. Every time we gather, we're adding, or at least potentially, we're adding to a relational reservoir from which others might draw. The little interactions, the um, meeting someone for the very first time, that's, that's like a little deposit, that, that encouraging sort of exchange of words. Maybe you pray for someone. Every time we come together, there's an opportunity for us to like pour a little something into the, to the relational reservoir. Some weeks, you're going to come with like a whole bucket. You'll be like, man, I got, I got a lot to contribute this week. Other, other weeks, you might show up here bone dry. You'll be like, man, I am thirsty. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm heavy. But I'm coming here because I'm hopeful that there's going to be a reservoir built up of people, of relationships from which I might draw. Here's a controversial question, or rather, um, what's the word? A question that you've heard a thousand times, so much so that it becomes cliche, but the question is this, can you be a Christian and not go to church? And the obvious answer is, of course. Of course you can be a Christian. You can be saved. You can put your faith in Jesus and know that your eternal, your eternal destiny is secure because of who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus. Simple as that. You do not have to attend a local church to be a Christian. And, not but, and following Jesus is impossible outside of relationship with his body. That's the controversial part. Following Jesus is impossible outside of a relationship with his body. And if you don't agree with me, I wonder if you've ever read the New Testament. I'm, that's, some of you are like, wow, that's, that's harsh. I, I want to emphasize the point. I want to emphasize the point. Of course you can be saved and not like attend church or, or belong to a local church. But you cannot follow Jesus. Like actually work out your salvation. Grow in relationship. Learn to love God and others more and more outside of a relationship with this body. God adds us to his body. We become a body part in Jesus. And if we remove ourselves from the body of Christ, if we are no longer like connected with the body. Now again, I'm distinguishing like church membership and simply being a part of the body. Okay, So some theological nuance there. But in order to follow Jesus, in order to be a disciple that's growing, that's learning to give and receive love in all of its wonderful complex ways, you've got to be connected to the body. Practically speaking, that works out like this. When people gather, when the church convenes. So relationship, kind of essential. Lastly, gathering is an act of prophetic protest. I'm going to flip over to the book of Hebrews quickly. You can listen while I read this passage. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day being the day that Christ returns. If you go on reading that passage, you will find yourself neck deep in one of the most shocking, rattling, emotional passages in all of the New Testament. One of my former seminary professors described the book of Hebrews as theological therapy. It's not necessarily where you're going to go to like, like put together doctrine per se. But my goodness, if you need to like be sort of a bit shaken and rattled emotionally, like stimulated, just keep reading Hebrews chapter 10. It gets like intense. It's like Jonathan Edwards on steroids. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's where Mr. Edwards was getting a lot of his preaching material on that one famous day. The book of Hebrews and that little uh, exhortation to continuing to continue gathering together, um, unlike some who have forsaken the habit, it's actually it's sandwiched in between this incredible encouragement, which is the part that I read. You're welcome. And the other part, which is super shocking, and I, I don't really feel like reading this morning. That's for another sermon. You could read it on your own. But right in the middle is this exhortation. Keep coming together. To encourage one another. Uh, to, to stir up one another towards good works. And do so all the more as the day draws near. It's this sort of emotive appeal for the people of God to keep coming together in the middle of incredible uh, pressure. On one hand, don't give up hope. Don't waver. Be fully assured he who promised is faithful. And to those of you who are wavering, who are, who are, being, uh, who are giving in to the pressure to, to, to walk away, don't do it. Keep coming together. And every time you do, it's like this prophetic declaration. The people of God are still coming together. We're still waiting for the return of our faithful king. And we demonstrate something to the world around us. Even the angels themselves, as they look on, the people of God are still expectantly waiting for the return of our faithful savior. It's protest kingdom work it's when the citizens of heaven the kingdom of god come together to say we've not given up hope and we will continue to encourage one another and do good works all the more as we await the day of our king's return that's biblical protest it's what the world needs a whole lot more of Currently, we're living in a time where, of course, of course, we gather on a Sunday. It's fine. It's legal. It's no big deal. There really are no repercussions other than it takes some of my personal time. But there may very well, very well come a time when it costs us greatly. This could, and this would be the context of, our, of the sermon written to the Hebrews, where it could cost you your life. It could cost you your home. It could cost you everything. And yet the people of God continue to gather in defiant protest because the greater one, he is coming. Nothing in heaven or on earth is going to stop the kingdom of God from coming. So the gathering itself, um, again, one of my 
uh, theology professors back in London, he, he put it this way. The gathered church is like an eschatological flash mob. Isn't that the coolest metaphor ever? Some of you are like, I don't know what that means. The gathered church is like an eschatological flash mob. You know what a flash mob is, right? Have you ever seen a flash mob? You're in a public place and there's people everywhere and all of a sudden, like, everyone, like, not everyone, but, like, a hundred people in the crowd, like, break out in, um, like, choreographed dance. And you're like, whoa, what's happening? Like, they have their watches synced, and all of a sudden, they're like, they're doing this performance in this public space. That's a flash mob. And they've obviously practiced it over and over and over and over until finally they gather together, and they do this thing. And everyone's looking on, like, what's happening? This is the coolest thing. That's a flash mob. Eschatological just refers to, like, the study of end times. Looking to the day when our king returns. When the church gathers We're demonstrating something to the world around us as we worship, as we encourage one another. As we continue to look to the one who gives us hope, we become like that eschatological flash mob. The people of God who have hope for the future. And that's why we gather. What do you guys think about that? Now, those are three reasons why. Because after a couple of weeks of meditation, prayer, I reckon there's more than three. But those are three good ones. Let's talk about obstacles and invitations. Practically. Why is it hard to... Um, to be the gathered church. For some people, maybe you're like me. You grew up going to church every Sunday. And somehow that just got like embedded down into your bones. It's so now that you're a grown up and you're following Jesus. You're like, this, of course, this is what I do. I go to church every Sunday. It's what I've always done. Somehow it's just like, I don't know. I just grew up with it. Which is fine. Doesn't necessarily um, feed into the why. To like the real motivation. But that's okay. Um, others of you, you're like, man, for the life of me, just incorporating in like a regular rhythm of gathering, it's like trying to get to the gym. I just like, it's just hard for me. It's just difficult. Why is that? What are some of the obstacles? Some of them are very practical. Some of them, probably most, are actually more to do with like internal obstacles, Things in my own sort of like thinking or my, my attitude or my, just my lifestyle that makes it very difficult for me. Even if I agree with the wise. So let's talk about some of the obstacles. Number one, there's three of them. Number one. Number one obstacle is choosing personal formation over relational consecration. Choosing personal formation over relational consecration. Question. Is the church, or let's say specifically, is the Sunday assembly, the gathering, a personal spiritual formation course in, in your thinking? Of course, no one's going to answer that question because it's too risky. No. I say yes and no. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings... So when the church gathered, there was teaching going on. The scriptures were being opened, and the apostles were teaching the word of God. And they devoted themselves to that. So there was something about we're growing together. We're learning together. And there's some sort of soul formation that's happening. So yes, of course, I would hope that when the church gathers, whether I'm teaching or someone else, has the responsibility of opening the Bible and saying, Holy Spirit, would you help us now be our teachers? We all learn together. God is in that moment. I actually view the preaching of God's word as a kind of a sacramental experience. It's not just my brilliance. It's not just the fact that we're here and like hearing words spoken out loud. The Holy Spirit actually opens up our hearts and our minds 
illuminates God's word as we, we sit under teaching together. So there's, there's something very powerful about what happens in this moment. Um, but that's not all that's happening. Otherwise, we could just stay at home and just listen to Bible Project videos like all day. That, that's way better teaching anyways. Like we all know that, right? I'm totally okay with that. So there's more happening here than just personal spiritual formation. There's something about learning together. When the church gathers, we're not just here as individuals. Although you wouldn't, the way the room's set up with pews and a stage, it's, it's not very conducive to like group learning. I'll say it. But if we can get over that, and remember that we're here to participate in something together. There's a communal element to this. Then no, it's not merely spiritual formation class. There's something else going on here. So I would encourage us uh, maybe to just simply be aware of that. Possibly even um, if you've always thought of like, well, I come to church because this is where I listen to Bible teaching. And then occasionally I'll go to another church, or occasionally I'll just stay home and I listen to a podcast. And this is kind of, I have a few friends as well that I enjoy seeing them, but primarily I come to church because this is my time to like hear Bible teaching. Um, I invite you to, to please repent. Um, that's a, a kind of a self centered attitude. When we come here to learn, we're, we're here to learn together. And not only learn together, but practice what we're learning together so that when we leave here and get in ecclesias our, our small groups or whether we're just lingering after the service i love it that like it's like pulling teeth to get everyone out of this room at the end of a service on sunday i'm just like go away i want to go home <laughs> eventually i'm like who's got a key all right jared can you lock up <laughs> it's wonderful it's great a lot of like our practicing actually happens informally as we just sort of linger about in this space. Take space time. So choosing uh, relational consecration or um, growing spiritually, becoming more like Jesus in the context of together versus, versus just coming to get your personal spiritual formation. That's the first obstacle. The second obstacle is this. It's choosing community idealism over love and consistency. Matthew 18, 20, Jesus said, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. You guys know that verse, right? Where two or three have gathered. What are we doing here? Let's, let me get my two best friends, and we'll go get a couple of brewskis, or whatever you're into, and call it church. Why, why do I got to sit in a pew on a Sunday morning of like, what a God-forsaken time. So I'm being cheeky. We're two or three gathered, but have you, you've heard that, right? Maybe, maybe some of us have like used that. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go to church. Like, I'm doing my church like out on the soccer field. I'm doing my church like whether like a brother or a sister, just, just two of us in Jesus' name, like church. Why do we got to complicate it? I get it. I get it. Um, I think what that is a symptom of is more of an idealistic sort of uh, what I wish church was. Much more simple, just pure friendship. Forget the pews. Forget like the 10 a.m. on a Sunday. Let's just, let's just strip it all down. And so we have this ideal of church on our mind. A couple of things about that. Number one, that's like take that verse way, way out of context. Matthew 18 is all about brothers and sisters learning to forgive one another when one has sinned against the other. That's, that's the immediate context of Matthew 18. In fact, it's like one of my go-to passages in all of the New Testament. When a brother or sister has offended you, you go to them, appeal to them, and try to win them over. That's, it's conflict resolution. It's, it's Christianity 101. If they refuse... Then bring a brother or sister with you, re-appeal. If they still refuse to listen, 
and then go to your church elders, take it to your pastor, take it to leadership. And there, there's, a, there's a process so, so helpful to work that process when you're having a hard time with a brother or sister in your church family. And at the very end of that, he says, because we're two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. Meaning, when, when we're in unity, when we have forgiven each other and have come back together again, instead of me and my brother separate, now we're together again. And when we forgive each other, when we distribute grace to one another, that's where Jesus is. That's, that's what that verse is talking about. It's not the verse that I get to use to like, I don't got to, I don't got to go to like church, church. So Jesus is with me. You, you, you get it. You get it, right? Um, our tendency to prefer the ideal over like the simple consistency of just simply showing up, looking for opportunities to give and receive love. Not super sexy, but it's where the real work gets done. Just showing up, just showing up, showing up. Anticipating conflict, because that'll happen. Practicing forgiveness and receiving forgiveness and getting back to the work of just consistent love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you guys know I got, I got a quote from Bonhoeffer for this one. He said, you've probably, you've probably heard a part of this quote. I'm going to read the whole thing. This is from his Life Together. Excellent book. Super, super challenging. He said this, every human wish and dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He or she who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. We want to be a part of like the church of my ideal world. And in my ideal church, about half of you in this room aren't there. In my ideal church, I don't even know if I'm invited. I love how uh, Groucho Marx, he said, I refuse to be a member of a group that would ever accept someone like me as a member. <laughs> that is so wonderfully honest. And when we begin to idealize what we think church should look like or the time we should gather or the place we should gather or the manner in which we should gather all according to my honest and good wishes and intentions, we begin to exclude people who aren't a part of my church fantasy. The genuine church is this. It's a mixture. It's wonderfully diverse and beautiful and hard and requires us to bear with one another constantly with patience and humility where we're actually practicing Matthew 18, appealing to one another. You hurt my feelings. You misunderstood me. And now I want to leave because I feel like you don't like me and everyone's looking at me funny. Like the real stuff of family, not the idealistic version of reality. And when we begin to idealize church, we suck the life right out of it because it's not reality. Thirdly, last obstacle. So we said choosing personal formation over relational consecration, choosing community idealism over love and consistency, and thirdly, choosing modern mania over the beauty of simplicity. Our culture loves to talk about self-care. And self-care is a multi-billion dollar industry. Consumerism is truly the air we breathe. And the ethos of our consumer world is you need more. You need more self-care. You need more technique. You need more knowledge. You need more vacation time. You definitely need more money. You need more friends. You need more likes. 
And this is the mania of our modern culture. You need more, you need more, you need more, you need more. Usually all in the name of like wholeness, in the name of health, in the name of love, in the name of all that's good. But the lie is more just makes me more anxious. It reminds me that I don't have enough and that I'm not enough. And it's exhausting and it kills relationship it kills family i'm not anti-consumerist but i'm radically pro simple relationship learning to love god and others growing and receiving and giving love i don't need more I need more of Jesus. I need more people and relationships in my life to perhaps walk with me. Maybe not even that. If I'm looking around right now, I'm like, no, I think I got enough people. I got enough people. I don't need more. What I need to do is take deep breaths and be reminded that Jesus calls me to live a simple life. A simple life. A quiet life. Where I get to work with my hands. And I get to focus on giving and receiving love. Building relationships with God and the people around me. It's beautiful. It's the beauty of simplicity. The habit or the discipline of regularly gathering will conflict with the consumer lifestyle. Following Jesus, prioritizing simple, consistent rhythms of coming together will typically not result in material dividends, but it's actually what we're all starving for, the simple life. Like this, gathering together like this, it actually interrupts... um, like the, the, the other world that I'm living in. Like this other world that says go faster, earn more, get better. And it's like, it's, it's the consumer world. It's the material world. And I don't want to sound extreme, but, but you just go out there and you, you breathe the air long enough. And all of a sudden you're like, I don't, I don't have time. I don't have time for like any of this. And, and in fact, like what, what I really need to do is work extra time so I can get that, that pay bump, that bonus, so that I can buy more. because what I, And it's like we get caught up. In this like frenzy, this modern mania. And then Jesus, he says, why don't you follow me? Are you exhausted? Are you tired? Are you thirsty? Come. Come be with me. I'll, I'll teach you how, how to live life my way. I'll teach you how to, how to, how to live according to the, um, as Willard put it, the unforced rhythms of grace. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Burden is light, my yoke is easy. And somehow, the gathering is a part of that. It's so simple. But it's like a very practical, very tangible way for me to say, no, no, I am going to unplug. It might mean that I work less. It might mean that I earn less. It might mean sacrifice in a consumer world that's always saying more, more, more. Jesus calls me away and he says, slow down. Let's go, let's go be with some people. Let's just take our time. Receive and give love. This forces us to slow down. To stop. I love this verse, Proverbs 13, or excuse me, Proverbs 15, verses 16 through 17 says this. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. The invitation 
to embrace the beauty of simplicity. Finally, three uh, practicals. So threes, we're doing threes, right? Three whys, three obstacles, not three invitations. We're going to end every, every talk this series with some very practical things that you might consider trying. Okay, super practical, which if you know me is like not my MO. Usually I like preach my heart out and I'm like, all right, go, go figure it out, kids. Like, good luck. Not always the most helpful thing. We're going to try practical this time. So three invitations for growth. And th- these will be quick. In fact, can I invite our worship team to come up front, please? Number one, set an attendance goal. There's 52 weeks in a year. Set an attendance goal for yourself. Maybe you're like, Dude, I'm going to go for 52. It's going to be like the year of radical church attendance. Good on you. Go, go crazy. I'll be right there with you. Or maybe you're like, who am I kidding? Let me take a baby step. Go for like two Sundays out of the month. For some of you, that's like a huge step forward. Awesome. Great. Do it. Pray about it. And then set a goal. Set a goal. We do that for virtually like all of life. Why not when it comes to the gathering? Number two, take on responsibility. If you're like most of us humans, uh, good intentions are great, but unless there's some like level of accountability, unless I know someone's kind of like counting on me being there, when push comes to shove, it's just really hard to follow through. But if I'm on a team or someone's like, like counting on me to show up because I'm going to contribute or I'm taking on some kind of responsibility, that's super helpful. I learned that like way back in like the first year of like my Christian life. Just get plugged in so that when I'm tempted to flake out, it, it's kind of hard. Just, just a simple, simple principle. And lastly, come in faith. So when it comes to the gathering, maybe, maybe for you, you think, man, church starts at 10. I'll show up at 10, 15. Um, and then uh, hopefully the talk will be good. Usually is. Hopefully Ben's preaching because I love that guy. I'm being serious. And, uh, and that's it. That's church. And then when it's over, I, I, I got to bounce. That's, that's not the gathering. That's, that's not it. That's not the vision. Can I challenge you instead? Here's, here's a good goal. Here's an invitation. Let church start at 9. Not meaning like show up here at nine per se, but like get your Bible out and a journal at 9 a.m. and then spend 30 minutes preparing yourself to receive and to share love. And so maybe by the time you get here, you're like, man, I kind of feel like I got something to share this morning. Like I, I was reading God's word and it's the simplest thing, but man, it's so encouraging. And maybe, maybe I can encourage someone here this morning. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll add to the reservoir. And, and it just took a little bit of intentionality to come with some faith to prepare before you show up. Or another way to come in faith is to simply acknowledge the fact that like, man, I am empty. I am bone dry. And my faith this morning is that I'm going to show up and and. Trust that God's going to meet me here through a human being. And I'm going to have an opportunity to receive what I need from someone. That's coming prepared. That's saying, I'm coming empty-handed this morning. Broke, just not wanting to be here. But I'm showing up anyways. I could be someone's opportunity to, to practice giving love. What a blessing that would be. Someone once said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You could be someone's blessing by simply showing up here empty and broken. Can we stand together, please? So after this week, I'm anticipating church attendance will skyrocket. 
maybe. I think it'll take more than a sermon, that's for sure. Lord, help us. Lord Jesus, you are the faithful one. And we're here primarily because you have called us. You've saved us. You've, you've included us. Father, you've adopted us into your family. We are your kids. And my desire, and I believe our desire, is that we would be, um, that, that we would be your church. Not the ideal church, but your church. Your people. And I pray that in the next few weeks, as we're just looking at the basics, considering the fundamentals, maybe, maybe in some new ways for the very first time, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to, to take to heart, Lord, that, that being a part of, of your church, um, it's a really big deal. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. I mean, you've got great plans for us, good works that you've, you've prepared for us. Pray that you would just really capture our hearts once again. And I pray that we would leave this place feeling um, revitalized, maybe challenged, but like alive with a bit, bit more hope than we came in here with.